The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. The question this morning is, how do I know the will of God? question next week is, what about those who haven't heard? Is Jesus really the only way? And then we'll wrap it up by answering the question, how can a good God allow suffering? So that's where we'll be in the next three weeks. Then we're going to begin a new series. And then in October, in September, rather, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from uh, two of our friends. Stuart Briscoe is going to be back with us one week. Many of you have heard Stuart, and uh, he comes once a year. We're going to utilize his gifts. The next week, we're going to have Dr. Doug Moo. He's a professor in the Northeast, and uh, we're going to bring him in for a special weekend as well. So a lot of opportunities coming the month of October. We're going to dedicate to a single topic, the topic of the church, ecclesiology. We're going to have all our small groups go through that together. And so just to preview for you where we're headed in the fall and uh, to see what God's doing in our body, we are humbled and grateful. So if you're visiting with us, we do welcome you. We're in the midst of exciting chaos. We get bids in this week for the remodel of our old buildings over here. Came in a little under budget, so we're grateful for that. Construction remodeling will begin in two weeks, and so uh, things will continue to be chaotic for the next several months. We appreciate your patience over those months as we see what God's going to do, and then we'll have uh, revitalized facilities. Baptism comes up. There's a mistake on the very front folder of your bulletin. It's going to be at 6.30 on Sunday, August 13th. Uh, We're going to baptize dessert potluck. You're going to bring a dessert. We're going to share it and all get fat together. So it'll be a great time of baptizing and eating together. There are two meetings prior to that. So if you've not been baptized since you've come to know Christ as Savior, we strongly encourage you to prayerfully consider making a statement of your faith and who Jesus is. Maybe you're baptized as an infant. Great statement of your parents' faith, but not yours. Or maybe you were baptized before you came to know Christ or haven't been baptized since you've come to know Christ, we'd ask you to prayerfully consider participating in that. Choose from one of those two meeting times, come to the meeting, get information, and you can make a decision following those meetings. So uh, that's where we're headed. Kiddos, 10 years and up, we baptize at TBC. Till then, we invite you to come and celebrate and then uh, participate in baptism. How do we know the will of God? That's the question before us this morning. How do I know that? What is God's will for my life? Should I accept this new job opportunity or not? Should I make a career change or not? Should I buy my buy a new business or sell a business? Should should we get married or 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 quit dating or uh, when should we get married? Which ministry should I be involved in? TBC has all these ministries. Which ministry should I be involved? Where do I find a place to serve? Where do I find a place to grow? Which university should I go to if I don't get into LSU? Where should I go? (laughs) What should I major in? Uh, should we change houses, buy a new house, change cars? What should we do? This summer, Bev and I decided uh, we were praying about God's will for vacation. We decided we are going to go to Italy, Paris, and Holland on one trip. We made it without leaving the state of Texas. We did Italy, Paris, and Holland, Texas. How do you know the will of God? I, didn't know, I shared with you a number of years ago how I discerned the will of God on a special day. Uh, if you remember when Krispy Kreme donuts first came out, I'm not a donut eater, but somebody gave me one of those, and I thought, this is pretty good stuff. And one of the first Krispy Kreme standalones was in Round Rock. Do you remember that? It's closed since, I believe, but uh, here's how I determined the will of God. I start a new diet every Monday. Every Monday, I start brand new. And so uh, I had a meeting in Round Rock on a Monday morning, and uh, same exit of the Krispy Kreme donuts. So I prayed, God, if it's your will for me to stop and get a dozen of those donuts to take some of them to the meeting with me for others and some not. If it's your will to do that, let there be a parking place in the front row. Sure enough, the sixth time around the block. How do you determine the will of God? 
high terminal guy. Watch this video because some of us wrestle, and I believe this may bring to mind how we wrestle with the will of God. I feel uptight. I feel all this intense pressure squeezing in on me. I feel like I'm trapped and don't know where to go. I have no direction. What exactly is God's will for me? Why can't I find it? Why is this so hard? Why is God's will like this magical dangling carrot that I can never seem to catch? We often make it harder than it is. Maybe it's because we confuse God's will with my will. We get impatient. We try to pigeonhole the omnipotent creator of the universe to fix us, heal us, help us, and bless us by begging him or raising our voice to him or bargaining with him everything but saying, your will be done, not mine. See, we've confused our role in this epic story that's unfolding in front of us. It's not about me. It's about him. I'm not the star of this movie. He is. I've just got a small cameo in this beautiful love story about truth and redemption. That takes the burden off of me. I can focus on making Jesus famous and living a life that points the spotlight to him. My thesis this morning is when it comes to knowing the will of God, too often, as that video says, we focus on ourselves rather than focusing on him. And really to understand the will of God, it's focused upon him. It's recognizing who he is, what he's done, and us laying ourselves on the altar every day. So when it comes to understanding the will of God, we're going to put the spotlight on Jesus. I love the way that video said that, making him famous and not ourselves famous. Well, God's will is really not a secret. It's not like God has a will and he wants to keep it secretively from us, but his desire is for us to know his will and to walk in his will every single day. So God's will is not a secret. He desires for us to know that. So uh, two aspects of the will of God that theologians talk about. Theologians talk about two aspects of the will of God. They talk about the declared will of God and the revealed will of God. The declared will of God and the revealed will of God. Well, the declared will of God are things that God will sovereignly bring about that he has declared. Things that will happen. God said it, so it's going to happen. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. This was spoken hundreds of years before Christ came to our planet, but it was God's declared will that the Messiah would come, be virgin-born, and as you know from the scriptures and the life of Jesus, that's exactly what happened. It's the declared will of God. We read this in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. It was the Lord's will to crush him. The bottom, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And so... When God declared that the Messiah would come, it says the Lord's will, there's our word, the will of God, it was God's will that the Messiah would ultimately be crushed. The nation of Israel missed the Messiah because they missed understanding passages like Isaiah chapter 53. The declared will of God, something that God speaks sovereignly, will come about and will happen. Uh, For instance, when Jesus was on the planet, he said from that time, he began to explain to the disciples, he had to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, that at the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law's hands, he must be killed and raised on the third day. God declared this would happen. We can look at the scriptures, we can look at history and see that's exactly what happened that the declared will of the sovereign father came about because he said it would. So there's the declared will of God over and over. I can give you example after example after example in the scriptures of the declared will of God. And we see God and his sovereignty brings these things about. Then there's the revealed will of God, which is something that we are to do as a church and as individuals. Things that are the revealed will of God are things that are revealed to us in the scriptures that we are to obey. For instance, in first 
Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it specifically says this is God's will. God's will is for us to be sanctified, that is to be holy, set apart, and not to participate in sexual immorality. The word for sexual immorality in the Greek is pornea. We are to be pure within the confines of marriage. So a sexual relationship outside of marriage between a man and a woman is declared by God to be outside of his will and therefore sinful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the very next chapter, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, not some, but all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So you want to know what the will of God is? The will of God is for you to give thanks in every circumstance in life. So the scriptures specifically spell out what God's will is a number of occasions. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is for us to walk in wisdom every single day. So God declares his will once again. Over and over in the scriptures, we see not only the declared will of God, but the revealed will of God meaning specific things in the scriptures that we are called to obey. And then there are further teachings on the will of God. When I was a young man in a youth group, we had a youth speaker come in and he talked about this. He talked about the will of God being like an archery target. And God had a perfect will. And so God's perfect will is the bullseye. And the desire we should have in life, he's talking to youth, is to live our lives, all of our lives, so that we hit the perfect will of God all the time so that we would choose the right master, the right mission, the right mate, and we would do all these things. And then he went on to say, sometimes we make foolish decisions and we make these decisions and we live our lives outside of God's perfect will. We marry the wrong person, we take the wrong job, we choose the wrong career, we do all these things, or maybe we make sinful choices and then we live the rest of our lives in the permissive will of God. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. The P's kind of go along the perfect will, the permissive will. But as I began to mature my faith and study the word of God, I thought that is absolutely terrible. I mean, it's terrible I have to think that way. That that somehow if I miss the bullseye at some point in time in my life, I'm doomed to live a second-rate spiritual life the rest of my life. Somehow I'll never be able to walk in God's perfect will. I'll always wander in whatever this permissive will is. I took the wrong job and therefore I'll never be in God's perfect will. Or I, I, I went to the wrong school. I, I chose the wrong vocation or uh, all these things. And I made a poor decision. I'm forever doomed to live a life of misery, failure, and frustration spiritually. And I thought, is that what the good father does? I mean, I'm doomed because I missed the, the, the target one time to live my life out here. Now, sin does have consequences, and sometimes our sin uh, bring consequences of lifelong. But I believe our loving Father, who's a good Father, takes into account our ignorance, our weaknesses, our sins, and even the sins of others against us so that we can walk in His will. Let me tell you, for instance, sins against us. Joseph in the Old Testament. He's favored by his father. He's hated by his brothers. So you remember what his brothers did. They sold him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He rises to become the number two guy in all of Egypt. There's a famine back in Israel. Joseph has had a dream. He he, he has had Pharaoh save up all the food they need for for a number of years. And uh, Joseph's brothers in Israel become hungry. So they come to Egypt looking for food. They didn't realize the man standing before them was their brother. Joseph is able to save his brother, allow the remnant to continue on, and Israel still exists. After their father dies, though, the brothers are afraid now that Joseph's going to seek revenge. 
But in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. God even took the sins of his brothers to accomplish good for the nation of Israel. And so here's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the times we miss the target, but we can still walk with our father in his will. David made sinful choices, but he repented and was forgiven. We we see that the prodigal son comes home, but in his repentance, he's restored to his father. And we see Peter's denial, his failure, overcome in him being restored to Jesus. And so when I first heard that teaching as a youth, I thought, that's pretty cool. God has a perfect will. I need to shoot the arrow on the bullseye every time. But then I recognized there's no way that's going to happen in our lives. And and I'm going to be doomed to live in this permissive will, whatever that means. And I don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. What I find is we have a good father who is faithful to forgive us when we come to him and we're restored to a walk with him. Amen. And our failure does not have to be final. I don't have to be doomed to live the rest of my life away from that. So, okay, Pastor Gary, declared will, revealed will, perfect will, permissive will. How do I know the will of God for my life? I mean, how do I know that? Well, let me start with an example of what not to do. James chapter 4. You have your Bibles or the apps on your phones or devices. Turn with me to James chapter 4. The first thing is what not to do. What not to do is to plan your life apart from God. And James 4 talks about the foolishness of planning our lives apart from God. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. James is going to use an illustration. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. And yet you do not know your life, what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. So so James says, let me give you an example, a negative example of foolishness of planning apart from God. This is the example of ignoring the will of God. It's an example, verses 13 and 14, of ignoring the will of God. Basically, what this person is saying and what they're doing is they're planning their life without ever engaging God. They're making decisions in life and God is not part of that equation. They're making some basic assumptions. You know, when Satan fell, there are five times, and uh, he, he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times, there are five I wills. What I see here are five presumptions of this person. First of all, there is the presumption of time, today or tomorrow. Secondly, there's a presumption of location. We'll go to such and such a city. And thirdly, there's a presumption of duration. We're going to spend a year there. Fourthly, there's a presumption of enterprise. We're going to engage in business there. And fifthly, there's a presumption of goals or profits. We're going to make a profit here. Now, James is not saying that planning and profiting is wrong. What he is saying, the exclusion of God from all of our planning and not trusting and depending on him is not the way that a Christ follower lives their life. You're going to make a decision. It may be who you're going to marry. It may be where you go to school. It may be a job. It may be finance. It may be your marriage. It may be where you're going to send your kids to school, public, private, Christian, or homeschool. We make those decisions apart from God, and he's not part of the equation, and James is saying this is ignoring God. And he just laughs in verse 14. He says, you don't know what your life is like tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. You may go on I-35 and get squashed today. James doesn't say that. I said that. I mean, it happens every day, doesn't it? 
You pick up the newspaper, you watch the local news, somebody dies on I-35 almost every day. Could be me, could be you. And he says, you don't know, how, how can you plan all these things and not include God in the equation? Your life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes. You know what a vapor is? You go out on a cold day and you breathe deeply and go, <sighs> now, how many of you have seen a vapor in the last three or four months? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't happen. It's coming. It'll be January before it gets here though. So you get in your car and you go, <sighs> and this little vapor comes up. Do you name it? There goes, you know, my victorious vapor. Do, do you try and fasten it to a seatbelt or in a car seat in the back seat? Do you start crying when that vapor goes away? I can't believe it's gone already. I mean, it's ridiculous. He says, that's your life. Your life is here today, gone tomorrow. In the light of eternity, our lives are this, a blink. In light of eternity, that's our lives. And he says, yet you're planning all this stuff and assuming all this stuff apart from God. It's foolish to ignore God's will because our lives are so short. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable. I call it the full-born empty heart parable, full-born empty heart. It's a farmer. He has a bumper crop. He leaves God out of the equation. Seven times in two verses, he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he talks about he's going to build bigger barns to hold his crop. And, and the parable, the, 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 God says to him, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. You planned all this stuff, but God's not part of the equation. Now let's have a little time of confession here. Do you make plans, do things, live your life, and think I should have asked God? Or maybe you do it this way. God, I'm going to do this. Would you bless it? I mean, a lot of us do that. God, would you just come along and bless what I'm doing? Or maybe we understand the will of God. And, and I, I believe that that's what uh, the, this next verse is saying. It, it, look at verse 17, rather. It says, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. We know the will of God, but we choose not to do the will of God. So confession time, we make plans without God. We make plans and ask God to bless them or, or, or maybe we deny the will of God. Look at verse 16. It, it is, you boast in arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You think you know the will of God, but, but, but you don't follow it. And you look at this and it says what we should do, verse 15, and say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. God, if you will, I'll buy that business. God, if it's your will, I'll go to this place. God, if it's your will, I'll take that vacation to Paris, Italy, and Holland in Texas. God, what is your will? And I believe as we look at this, what we do is we, we, we leave God out of the equation over and over. Tony Evans told the story we were in seminary, and I've used it uh, before. There's a businessman, had an angel come to him, and the angel said, I'll be back in three days and give you whatever you desire, just one request. So the businessman uh, thought and thought for three days, and then he happened on it. I want a copy of the stock market one year in advance in the newspaper. And he thought about how he could buy, how he could sell, all the money he could make. And the angel came back in three days and he said, this is what I'd like. I'd like a copy of the New York Stock Exchange a year from now. Made all these plans. So voila, the angel says, you've got it. So he's looking at the stock exchange, thinking about all the money he's going to make, buying, buying, selling short, buying long, all the trades he's going to make. And he happened to glance at the other page. It was a page with the obituaries. 
And there was this picture. All of a sudden, all that planning apart from God didn't matter. Anybody guilty? We live our lives apart from God, then we blame God. God's revealed will, not to be unequally yoked. We get married to somebody who's not a believer, we have an awful marriage, and we blame God. God, how could you let me do that? We drink too much, we get stopped, we get a DUI, and we get mad at God. We, we have sex outside of marriage, our girlfriend becomes pregnant, and you're both mad at God, blaming God. You make a very poor financial decision, you're burdened with debt, and you blame God. I, I mean, sin has consequences. Our prayer should be like Jesus' prayer was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is exactly what James is saying. If the Lord wills, then we'll do this. And some of us need to repent right now because we have made decision after decision after decision without ever asking God. And God has not been part of the equation. And we've been blaming God, we've been angry at God, we've been mad at God. And the reality of it is we've made decisions apart from God and apart from his will. Well, we move from what not to do to looking at the priority of Paul. We look at Paul as an example. Jesus is an example, take this cup away, not my will, but your will be done. James says we should say if the Lord wills. Here's what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, after I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you for I'll be gone through Macedonia. Well, Paul, you already said that, but go ahead through Macedonia. You said it twice in one verse. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the summer, the winter rather, so that you could help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you. And what does Paul say? Read it with me. If the Lord permits. Paul is saying, if it's your will, this is what I want to do. Lord, if you permit it, that's what I want to do. But yet so often we do what we want to do and we blame God when, it doesn't, when we don't get our way. We're like rebellious little kids. How many of you have rebellious little kids? Raise your hands. They all are. You can raise your hand. We, we've got, we had a rebellious grandkid this week. We kept Ivor Geary for a week. And uh, Ivor, Ivor is uh, two years old. He turned two in April, so he's real young. And uh, we were together at Pine Cove last week, a week before we took him with us home. We keep grandkids a week at a time. And, and so Ivor doesn't sleep through the night. He's got his mom and dad trained. Just make sure that doesn't go on that tape back there. And they're on a missions trip, so they're, they're in Dominican. They're somewhere else. So anyway, so Ivor gets up four or five times a night. He's got him trained. They have to get up, go pat him on the back so he'll quit crying. So we told them, we're going to take Ivor home. We're going to get Ivor broken. He's going to sleep through the night like he should when we're finished with him. And so we get uh, a room set upstairs. We've got a few beds up there. There's a crib up there. I turn the crib around so the high part is on the outside. He's two years old. He'll never be able to climb out of that crib. We close the door to that bedroom. We put a gate up on the stairwell because it's a second floor thing. We tie the gate so he can't possibly open the gate. We go downstairs into our bedroom. We take, I take my hearing aids out. Bev puts her earplugs in so when he cries, we can't hear him. We do have a baby monitor upstairs and downstairs so we can hear if he goes ballistic. Otherwise, he's going to cry his little heart out till he sleeps through the night. I mean, isn't that what you do with little kids that won't sleep through the night? So about midnight, all of a sudden, we hear just the, I mean, screaming at the top of his lungs. And we look at one another, and I mean, hearing aids out, earplugs in, we're still hearing scream, and we say, we're going to let him go. I mean, he's got to get past this. So five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 
15 minutes go by. I'm thinking he's going to strangle up there at 20 minutes. I decided I'm going to go up there and pat him on the back. <laughs> he's got me trained now. So I pat, it takes about 30 seconds. He's sound asleep. As soon as you touch him, he's out. Well, about three o'clock in the morning, I didn't hear this, but Bev hears screaming three o'clock in the morning. And she hears more screaming. And she looks up and there's Ivor standing next to her bed. <laughs> he has climbed out of a crib a two-year-old can't climb out of. He has opened an upstairs bedroom door that's not supposed to be open. He had three in the morning, he has climbed over a safety gate onto a stairwell without falling down a double flight of stairs. He's opened our bedroom door and now he's screaming for dear life. He spent the rest of that night and the next three nights in bed with us. Awful. We sent him home, they're gonna deal with that mess. And every grandparent said, That's what we're for, guys. My point of all that is we're like Ivor. We're like Ivor. Hey, God, I want to do what I want when I want, and if not, I'm going to get you fit, and you're going to be on my side. I mean, that's how we live. Or we don't And in James, he says, we ought to say if it's your will. And Paul says, if you permit... Not well, Paul made plans. There are some that say, well, we should, it's not spiritual to make plans. And they couch it in spiritual terms like this. I'm going to wait until the Spirit moves me. And there are a lot of people who have been waiting for years to be moved by the Spirit. Or I'm going to wait till I hear the voice of God. My friends, he's already spoken to you. Paul's priority was to submit to him in every aspect of his life. Paul says this, I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that which is true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, you lay your life on the altar every day. You want to know the will of God for your life? Here's God's will for your life. You lay yourself on the altar every day and say, God, I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. That's God's will for your life. But Gary, I don't know if we should get married. He says, I want you to submit today. That's what I want. See, here's the issue. We want a GPS and God gives us a compass. Think about the difference. You got a GPS on your phone. I've got a GPS here. We went to a place to eat in Waco and we'd only been there once before. And so we had to pull out GPS to get there and uh, it took us a different way that we've been before. So I didn't argue with the GPS and say, why don't you just shut up? You don't know what you're saying. <laughs> but, but, but I knew that GPS would get me there. I mean, we're some friends that are taking us to dinner and, and we're saying, this isn't the way we went before. No, but let's go this way because that's the way she's taking us. Notice how I always say she for GPS, by the way, giving us directions on how to drive, but that's a whole nother story for another day. But, but anyway, the GPS, and when you pop that GPS, it shows every road, it shows every country road, it shows, it shows every intersection, and that's what we want. God, would you tell me today, what would you do this? And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want a relationship with you, so I want you to get up every day and trust me. I want you to get up every day and walk with me. I, I want you to depend upon me every moment of every day. I want every cell in your body to be so infused with me that, that, that you will know, that you will know as you walk with me where you should go. And so every day as we submit ourselves to him, it's not like God's got to put some big sign in the sky. Danny reminded me of a story I'd shared a number of years ago. And, and it was, there was a farmer who was, who was doing well, but he always thought he wanted to be an evangelist. And so he, he asked for God to give him a sign. 
And so he walked out one day and he looked in the sky and he was convinced the clouds were in a shape of two letters, P-C. And he said, this is it, God's will for my life. Preach Christ, preach Christ. So he went and he sold his farm and he became an evangelist and he was awful at it. Hardly anybody got saved. His ministry went terribly and he eventually died. He got to heaven and said, God, I thought I was doing your will. I saw that sign in the clouds, PC, PC, preach Christ. And God looked at him and said, it meant plant corn, plant corn, plant corn. (laughs) And you see, what happens is we're like Gideon. We, we, we want signs. And, and God says, I've given you something greater than a sign. You know what I've done? I've given the third person of the Trinity to live in you. I've given you the Spirit of God to live in you. And so, you know, in Old Testament times, they determined the will of God a number of ways. Two of those ways were the umen and thum that the, the, the uh, priest wore, but the other way was casting lots. They either drew straws, threw dice, something. And so the last time that lots are cast in the scriptures, you know when that is to determine the will of God? Last time they cast lots, who knows where it is? Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one. They need another apostle. And so they come down to two guys who are qualified. And they choose to cast lots. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of those two guys, I'm thinking there's got to be a better way than this. <laughs> uh, oh, Matthias was happy, but the other dude wasn't because Matthias, the lot landed on him. That's the last time lots are cast to determine the will of God in the scriptures. Why? Well, think about what happens in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. Pentecost is the birth of the church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so now the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So the one who John 16 says guides us into all what? Truth. And so I don't have to go and cast lots or ask for signs because God has given us two things. He has given us an inspired and errant word and he's given us the one who has guided that word, inspired that word, the Holy Spirit to live within us. And so I think it's very unbecoming for me to walk out and say, if the third card that passes by is red, then I'm going to be in a community group this year. Or, or, or if it gets over 100 degrees in August in Central Texas, I'm going to buy a new computer, a new outfit, a new car, or whatever it is. That's just superstition. Versus me coming and saying, God, I'm going to throw myself on the altar today. And I want to walk with you and have a relationship with you and want to be guided by you. And therefore, I want to do your will. And the Father's not trying to keep you from doing his will. The Father wants to reveal to you his will. But it's really more about walking with him than specifics about us. Now, I don't know. How many of you are control... Let let me back this up. How many of you are married to control freaks? You can raise your hand. It's okay. (laughs) One honest woman and a bunch of scared people. I like order. I like control. I've realized control is an illusion. Believe me, I've realized that. But, but I tend to resemble the lady in this video way too often. See if you can relate to her. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean... This feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to okay, go shopping. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, really? I thought your husband Stop and you were going to pay off debt. We got to start that video all over because they don't know who's there. The guy is Jesus and the lady's trying to make a decision. We missed the sound of the first part. So can you go back and start that over? Otherwise, they're going to miss the whole thing. 
Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? There's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Who's in control? You ever wrestle with Jesus over that? Hey, Lord, I, I want this to happen. I want this to be your will. I want to go in this direction. Come and bless it. Instead of just following after him. When it comes to decision-making the will of God, a lot of times we want to be like Gideon. Gideon had the fleece test, and we want to throw a fleece test out. But I've already told you, God has given us the Word of God and the Spirit of God to, to do. So let's conclude by looking at two things. First of all, four principles on decision-making and knowing the will of God. Where God commands, we must obey. When God commands, we must obey. God's given us a lot of commands. We need to obey those. Don't be unequally yoked. Give thanks in all things. Be kind to one another. Be forgiving to one another. Don't judge one another. The scriptures go on and on and on with the things that we are supposed to do. When God commands, we need to obey. That's his revealed will. Where there is no command, we are morally free. When God does not command, we're morally free. For instance, I, I put on a blue shirt today, white slacks, brown shoes. Uh, I, I didn't say, God, how do you want me dressed today? God has said dress modestly, so I dress modestly. I, I, honestly, I don't think it matters to God uh, how I dress today. I think what matters is my heart aligned to his heart today. And so I, I believe there, there are great freedoms we have, great freedoms within his will to do these things. Second, thirdly, or, or in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. You dress to the glory of God, you eat to the glory of God, you work to the glory of God, and, and you do that. We're morally free to make those decisions. Thirdly, in the area of freedom, exercise godly wisdom. God wants us to walk in wisdom. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your pathway straight. So in every area of life, we exercise godly wisdom. We let the Spirit of God work through the person who God has called, who the Spirit of God living with us through the Word of God to accomplish the will of God. The Word of God through the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God in our life. Fourthly, 
we place everything in the hands of our sovereign God. We're not going to live like James, the illustration he uses, and do everything but not dependent upon him. Our lives will be, Lord, if it's your will, this is what I want to do. In the years that I have tried to walk with Christ and watched many of you seek to walk with Christ, I've seen numerous hindrances. I'll just share three that I've seen over and over to following God's will. Number one, we don't listen to the voice of God. We want signs in the heavens. We want the red car gone by to determine his will. But God has spoken to us through his word. And if you want to know the will of God, you go to the word of God through the spirit of God to know that will. And what I find is we're pretty lazy. We, we want God to give us a word. We want God to speak. We want God to give us signs. We want God to give us a fleece. We want something in the clouds. And God says, I've given you my word. Walk with me. Walk with me and listen to me. Remember Prof. Hendricks said in Dallas Seminary class one time, he said 98% of the will of God is revealed to us. The other 2% is sanctified common sense. Now, God doesn't say, I'll talk about that in a second. So not listening to the voice of God. Secondly, paralysis, not deciding. I meet a lot of people who say, well, I don't know what it is, so they do absolutely nothing. They, they, they live spiritually paralyzed lives. Spiritually paralyzed lives. John Ortberg wrote a book. It's called, If You Don't Get Out of the Boat, You Can't Walk on the Water. I mean, think about it. One of the disciples got out of the boat and walked on water. They all could have, but only Peter did. You've you got to get out of the boat to walk on water. Potential, Daryl Royal said, means you ain't done it yet. There are a lot of people who live with spiritual potential. They just haven't done it. Their, their motto is ready, aim, 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 aim. And they never fire. God has pricked your heart to, 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 to shepherd, to lead, to teach kids, to start a neighborhood Bible study, to have a small group in your home, to attend a small group. You name it, whatever it is, God has pricked your heart, but you're still, you're still ready, aim, 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 and haven't responded to the Spirit of God touching your heart. He's pricked your heart to go forgive somebody, to quit judging somebody. You name it, you fill in, to become a person who's generous and gives to the work of the, the Savior, whatever it might be, and you have not done it, and you are not submissive to him, you're paralyzed. I love um, Stonewall Jackson, great American hero, led many, many. There was a revival in the Civil War under Stonewall Jackson's estimated over 30,000 men came to Christ under his leadership. One of the great stories about Stonewall Jackson, the Valley of Shenandoah, they came to a river they needed to, for, they needed to get across. It was too uh, deep to fort, to fort across, so they had to build a bridge. So he called his engineers together. They went to meet in a tent. While they were meeting a tent, his wagon master came up and said, sir, we've got to get over the river quickly. And he said, do what you can. So the wagon master went and uh, he, got, he got rocks and he got timber and he got uh, logs and uh, his guys built it. The next morning, uh, he came to uh, General Jackson and said, sir, all of the wagons and all of the men on the other side of the river. And he said, did the engineers plan it for you? He said, no, sir, they're still in the tent next door determining how to build a bridge. See, you're either like the engineers or you're like that wagon master. You're either applying the word of God and doing it, or you keep listening, 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 planning, 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 thinking, I will, I will, I will, but you never do it, paralyzed by the will of God, not knowing it, not understanding, not doing it, not deciding. Then on the flip side are people like me. We're impatient. We're impatient. Uh, as I've gotten older and matured, hopefully I've become more patient, but I was impatient as a young man. 
I, I love the story of Dr. Brooks. I've used it here 20 times, probably Dr. Brooks pacing back and forth in his parsonage, pe- preacher back in the early 1900s in England. One of his parishioners walked by and he, she saw Dr. Brooks pacing back and forth in his living room and she knocked on the door and through the screen door said, Dr. Brooks, what's the problem? He said, the problem is I'm in a hurry, but God is not. Can you relate to that? I'm in a hurry, but God's not. Give me a red light, give me a green light, but don't give me a caution light. I don't like caution lights. Do you stop, do you go? Do you stop, do you go? You know me, I go. Some of you stop. I blow my horn. No, I don't blow my horn. (laughs) God gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. You doing that? You like James planning your life and God's not part of the equation? Or maybe you're the one who does everything and said, God, come and bless it? Or you like Jesus? Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You know, when I, I fell in love with Bev, uh, we were students at LSU and uh, fell in love with her. And, uh, you know, I, I, how do you know if it's God's will to marry her? Well, you look at me and look at her, and she's going to say, yes, it's pretty obvious it's going to be God's will. I mean, she's aged really well. I've had a tough time. People see us coming down the street. They said, that brother must have been rich to get that woman. I guarantee you that. <laughs> but, 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 you know, how do you determine decisions like that? Well, we're both walking with Christ as young people, both honoring him with our lives, falling in love, and recognize, you know, there's nobody I'd rather spend my life with. So God, if it's of you, even if you, I'm going to ask her to marry me. She says, yes, so over a crawfish platter at Ralph and Cacou's in Baton Rouge. <laughs> she took the little ring I had and said, I will. How do you do that? You walk with Christ every day, laying yourself on the altar, saying, not your will, but my will be done. I didn't see a place in the Bible that said, Mary Bev Huff. But we both walked with Christ. We both knew that we wanted to honor him with our lives forever. It became his will the moment we said, I do. And the rest is history. Walking with him, being a living sacrifice every day, that's his will. Clear as a bell. Father, thank you. Thank you that this is more about you and less about us. It's about you being famous in our lives every day. It's about us focusing on you. And Father, as we do that, you are so gracious, you're so gracious to walk with us and allow us to depend upon you and to lead us. So Father, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Would you make that your prayer this morning? I'm not gonna try and lead us in that song, but you know the words. Would you say it aloud with me if you mean it? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. God, you've heard our prayers. Help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. In the name of Jesus, amen.